Good morning and welcome to Green Tea Conversations, a radio show that delves into the pages of Natural Awakenings magazine to bring you the local experts who share their progressive ideas and the latest information and insights needed so you can lead your best life. I'm your host, Candy Brothel, publisher of the Twin Cities edition of Natural Awakenings magazine, and I am honored to bring these experts to you. So today in our studio, I am excited to introduce you once again to Mr. Russ Henry, who is the owner of Minnehaha Falls Landscaping. Russ leads a team of landscaping experts who install, manage, and restore yards, school grounds, and gardens throughout the Twin Cities, all without the use of pesticides or synthetic fertilizers. Welcome back to the show, Russ. It's good to have you. Oh, it's wonderful to be here. Thank you so much for having me on, Candy. So you were with us last fall, uh, sometime around September, I believe, and you were talking to us about the importance of preparing our soils for the winter ahead. And now we are on the other side of that winter, and it is time to talk about spring exactly. and to talk about spring gardening. Wonderful. But the first thing we want to talk about is something that is really on everyone's minds. Um, And it's something that you did an article for us about in Natural Awakenings magazine called Catch the Spring Buzz. It is a great article on pollinators. So I'm going to ask our listeners to please go to the website or pick up a magazine and read your article in full. But as part of that, I wanted to have you on the show today so that you can talk to us a bit about the importance of pollinators and what is kind of happening with them right now. Well, thanks again, Candy. It's really wonderful to be here with you. And uh, yes, it is so important that we take a little bit of time to talk about pollinators. I was out doing a consultation just a couple hours ago and saw some of my first flowers for the year. There was mm-hmm. some crocus blooming down in the uh, down near the house uh, at the consult. It was really wonderful to see that. And of course, it's very important that we have some early blooms because pollinators, bees, are out buzzing around looking for food right now and they eat the pollen and the nectar especially from the flowers and they bring that pollen back to their hives and they feed that to the baby bees the larvae in the hives (laughs) and it's very important that 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 uh, the pollinators have access to flowers so that means every one of us can really be a hero to pollinators in our own yards because we can offer flowers throughout the whole landscape. You know, it's so important. I don't know. Some people are really up on what's happening with bees and other pollinators and, and, um, but some of us are not. So maybe you can share with us a little bit of information that we need to be aware of of the dangers that they're facing right now. Well, let's, let's take, for instance, the rusty patch bumblebee, which is the Minnesota, uh, new state bee. (laughs) And, um, our state legislature a couple of years ago, designated the rusty patch bumblebee as the state bee because it is facing the threat of extinction. Mm. And rusty is also a indicator species. And so that means that where, what happens to rusty will also happen to many other pollinators. So alongside, uh, and, and, and I should say what is beneficial for rusty patch is beneficial for other pollinators. So That's where we come in as heroes in our own landscapes, because what we're seeing is 
um, a global extinction, a six X mass extinction of species throughout the planet. And Rusty is, is a part of that. And um, if we can provide more habitat, we can slow that extinction. Maybe we can stop the extinction from happening to some species. And, you know, what, uh, what more beautiful thing to, to do than come together in our landscapes around helping pollinators and helping bees? Because yeah. after all, you know, bees help us through pollination and uh, pollination. Yeah, and let's let's yeah. talk about that a little bit because, um, you know, I, I think people are like, they m- might not necessarily want bees in their yard because they're afraid of getting stung or afraid of having yeah. some kind of pain associated with it. But bees are really the important part of our ecosystem that we, we cannot do without. Exactly. Bees and other pollinating insects, they visit flowers all day, every day, hundreds, sometimes even thousands of flowers a day. And when they're doing that, they're blending the pollen from one flower to another, and that allows the flowers to make seeds. Mm-hmm. And so that's how flowers reproduce through pollination. And it's the blending of pollens by pollinating insects moving back and forth from flowers that's so critical. Uh, in wild plants, uh, m- most of the wild flowers that we know are all pollinated by insects. And in our, if you go to the grocery store, about 30% of the food we eat, and it's all the yummy stuff, it's the apples and the oranges and the almonds and the cherries and, and you know, the tomatoes and all the good stuff that we love, that's all pollinated by insects, by bees and other insects. So it's super critical that we do something to help Rusty out. It'll help us in the long term. Exactly. So what are some of the steps that we can take to help out, to be the heroes in our own landscape? That's a great question. And you know, there's four kind of main areas and ways that I think about for folks being able to help. The first is bee lawns. And that's kind of a new thing that's happening. It's a, it's kind of a revolutionary new thing that's going on where folks are transitioning their, their regular lawn space into a lawn space still, but it's one that's beneficial for pollinators. It's a lawn space that helps out rusty patch bumblebees and other bees, honeybees and everybody. Now that's one way. There's other ways that a lot that uh, there's kind of three other ways that I see also a lot of folks have a pollinator garden at home mm-hmm. and a pollinator garden will have native blooming plants. It's a really wonderful place. Um, perennial plants, low maintenance, very easy to take care of. Uh, and it's a great way to bring in some of the really important pollinators, including uh, monarch butterflies and yes. yeah. And, and other, you know, and honeybees and, and rusty patch and other bumblebees. Um, one really fun way that we can talk about it uh, here too so a little bit is is the uh, rain garden, which is a great way to have a uh, pollinator garden, and and those all kind of fit in what what I like to think of as the pollinator garden realm. Then you can also add, in, if you really want to go big for the pollinators, you can add in blooming trees and shrubs. So that's kind of the third level I think of as in terms of really helping out the pollinators. And, and that's one of the big ways because a tree or a shrub that's filled with flowers, like a cherry tree or an apple tree or catalpa tree, that is going to feed so many pollinators all day. 
Well, then you've got your fourth way. And, and the fourth way to protect pollinators, and everyone can participate in this, is soil health. Soil mm-hmm. health. And what we dig down, when we dig down just a little bit, what we find out is that when, when we're talking soil health, we're talking about no synthetic fertilizers, no pesticides. We're talking about having fungi, beneficial organisms in the soil, microbiology, living soils, soils acting like a sponge to clean the water. And all of this really starts to happen when we install the bee lawns and the pollinator gardens and the blooming trees and shrubs. So it all is kind of a big cycle where mm-hmm. the soil health supports the pollinator health of the plant or the, the uh, pollinator plant health, the plants then support the pollinators, the pollinators support us and all of it ties together. And so this is, this is what I'm here to talk about with you today is just all the wonderful fun stuff that we can do in our landscapes to save pollinators. And we want to get into all of this as we go throughout the show. So we're going to talk about each one of those things more in depth. Um, but before we do that, maybe you can help us understand what are some of the different pollinators that there are besides the bees? What are other pollinators that, that we need? And in particular, I know, um, you know, we're seeing quite a decline in the monarch butterflies, something that we used to see all the time when we were kids, when I was a kid, <laughs> you're yeah. younger than I am. But when I was a kid, we had monarch butterflies everywhere. And now there's quite the decline of that. Yeah, it's incredible. And I, uh, you know, I, I, I saw giant clouds of monarch butterflies when I was a kid and they are not here anymore. And so I am very worried. Um, in California this year, it was the lowest monarch count ever. Yeah. And monarch butterflies are facing some serious problems. Along with them are all of the other moths and butterflies that we love. The swallowtail butterflies and the hummingbird moths, they're all vanishing. They're all dying. And um, we can think about some other pollinators here too. And then let's think about why they're going away. But the other pollinators include birds like hummingbirds and uh, finch, you know, uh, finches, goldfinches and, and house finches and purple finches all visiting the flowers. Um, you know, butterflies and bees are very important, but we also got to think about the other pollinators that sometimes don't have as much um, press, let's say. And, you know, that might be things like ants and mm-hmm. beetles and uh, spiders. Um, we've got, you know, there's a whole, the whole range of all the living insects out there that are there to help us. And we can do a little bit to help them. And when we come back, we are going to get into what a bee-friendly yard will look like. Oh, wonderful. To learn more about Russ and the work he does, visit MinnehahaFallsLandscape.com or call 612-724-5454 to get your project scheduled. To read the online version of Natural Awakenings magazine, visit NaturalTwinCities.com. You can find a podcast of this show on am950radio.com, on Apple and Google Podcasts, on Spotify, and anywhere you get your podcasts. You're listening to Green Tea Conversations on AM950, the progressive voice of Minnesota, and we will be right back.
Welcome back to Green Tea Conversations, where we delve into the pages of Natural Awakenings Magazine and talk to the professionals who share their expertise on natural health with you. I'm your host, Candy Brothel, and we are visiting with Russ Henry, owner of Minnehaha Falls Landscaping in Minneapolis. All right. So before the break, you were starting to talk to us about uh, pollinators and the importance of pollinators and how we're starting to see a decline with that. And you also kind of gave us a little uh, sneak peek into what we can do to be the heroes in our own backyards. And one of the things that you are really excited about, something that's really quite a, a revolutionary approach, is called Beelons. Oh, yes. Thank you, Candy. I am so excited about bee lawns. Thank you for asking about them. So everybody's got a lawn and, uh, you know, every homeowner has a lawn and every uh, homeowner in that lawn has an opportunity to either help or hurt pollinators. Mm -hmm. And so if we're going to be out putting down synthetic pesticides, Oh, that's going to hurt the pollinators because they spread beyond. If we're going to put down synthetic uh, uh, fertilizer, same thing that's going to go in the soil and that will hurt the soil dwelling pollinators. And what we need to do instead is, oh, oh, and also let me mention, if we're mowing, we're actually mowing over the living pollinators and killing them. It's awful. It's (laughs) absolutely awful. What we can do instead is plant these pollinator lawns. We want to be able to have a walkable space that we can still, you know, see and sit and play ball and and have fun with the kids and everything and walk the dog, all that good stuff. But if we have a no-mow pollinator bee lawn, then we don't have to do any of that pesticides and fertilizers and mowing and all of that good stuff. So this is why I am so excited about bee lawns. They give us the opportunity to have a lawn, but they also save the pollinators at the same time. You know, it's really interesting that you say that, the no-mow lawn. When, um, as you get a little older, you start to kind of look at your home, like, how can I make this so that it's not as work-heavy as I start to age, right? I mean, we, we, when we're young and we have a lot of energy, it doesn't mean as much, but, you know, you try to figure out like, how can you make your house so you're not painting as much and you're not taking care of decks and you're not taking care of walkways as much. But I hadn't thought about a bee lawn and a no-mo lawn. So that is pretty interesting to me. So explain to us, what does that, what does that look like? Yeah, a no-mo bee lawn is essentially comprised of a few components. And so you've got fescue grass, which is a a grass that stays about six inches tall, doesn't need to be mowed. Looks, you know, the entire University of Minnesota campus is comprised of fescue grass. They Mm -hmm. mow it, though it doesn't need to be mowed. So um, it's uh, when we combine it with white clover, which a lot of folks are familiar with. It's a a common plant in most of our landscapes. We intentionally combine it into the bee lawn with the fescue grass. And then a couple other bloomers, uh, one called self-heal, Prunella vulgaris. I love that plant. It's a beautiful uh, purple blooming plant. And then creeping thyme, another plant a lot of folks are familiar with. I love creeping thyme. Yeah, isn't it fun? A lot of people don't, but I do. I love creeping time. <laughs> I do too. It's so pretty. I love it when it blooms. And so we've got a couple purple bloomers, a white bloomer, and then 
we've got the fescue grass combined. And that combination of the three blooming plants plus the fescue gives enough full season spread of blooms to feed 85 different species of native bees in Minnesota. Incredibly. And that's not even counting the honeybees or the, or the, uh, the, the moths and butterflies that we're going to see on there. That so is it's just, incredible. yeah, it's just incredible. And the heavy hitter in there really is the white clover, the Dutch white clover. It's a wonderful plant to uh, it's it. Let me just say this. It is non-native and yet it is super important in our, in our spaces because it is feeding 85 different species of native bees. Actually the, the white clovers feeds about 70 different species. And then with the, with the um, self heal and the creeping time, we're going to add in, we add in a few more, you know, another couple dozen species. Um, so uh, together you know, we're really feeding a lot of bees and making moths and butterflies and bees all happy in our yard when we transition. Now, it does take a transition, a little bit of a transition. So the first thing we do to, to transition to a bee lawn is we eliminate pesticides and fertilizers. The second thing we do is if we're going to do a moderate transition, kind of a slower pace transition, then we will aerate and overseed mm-hmm. using these wonderful seeds. Then we'll come in and we'll do some organic fertilizer and a little bit of what we've created, this special liquid compost that I learned how to make through one of my soil health mentors, Dr. Elaine Ingham. And she taught me how to make this wonderful soil health uh, compost inoculation um, uh, that we use and we spray out on the lawns and then it makes everything come to life. So we're kind of restoring the biology as we go. When we restore the biology, we're actually helping above and below ground. Pollinators above ground and below ground, we're growing soil health. Mm-hmm. And in that, then we also have a lot more insects and bugs and worms that are coming back to life within our soil as well. Exactly. And insects are so critically important because of the birds. Mm-hmm. Most, of a, most of our birds, most of their diets are comprised of insects. And so when we have eliminated so many insects from the landscape and they're, they're showing that 75 to 80% of insects in some studies, even in protected areas are being wiped out. And so the science around this is just scary and we need to pay attention um, and we need to do something about that. And that something is restoring health for pollinators and for soil all the way around. That's going to bring birds back to life. That's going to bring raptors back and foxes and the whole ecosystem. Once we start restoring that health right there in our lawn. You know, I think we've gone for a really long time where we have these beautiful, perfectly manicured lawns that are green and the perfect height. And we have perfectly manicured plants and I, I kind of see them in a different light now than I did say 10 years ago, where now it almost seems dead. The lawn, even though it's bright green and there's just no life to it anymore. And yeah. we need to bring those, those insects back, those pollinators back. We need to bring back that native look in order to have all that life come back into our yards. That's right. And we could all be heroes 
in our own landscapes by doing something like installing a bee lawn and just transitioning. You know, the first step is eliminating those pesticides and fertilizers and every other step after that we can help with. That is so, amazing. Yes. So for people who want to learn more about how they can work with Russ to create their own bee lawns or pollinator gardens, go to Minnehaha Falls Landscape or call 612-724-5454 to get your project started. To read the online version of Natural Awakenings magazine, visit naturaltwincities.com. You can find a podcast of this show on am950radio.com, on Apple and Google Podcasts, on Spotify, and anywhere you get your podcasts. You're listening to Green Tea Conversations on AM950, the progressive voice of Minnesota, and we will be right back. Welcome back to Green Tea Conversations, where we delve into the pages of Natural Awakenings magazine to bring you the professionals who share their expertise on natural health with you. I'm your host, Candy Brothel, and we are visiting with Russ Henry, who is the owner of Minnehaha Falls Landscaping here in Minneapolis. So, Russ, just before the break, you were explaining to us about a revolutionary new approach uh, called Beelons, which is... Yeah. Very intriguing. It also is a no-mow option. So people who end up uh, working on this yard for a couple of years can then enjoy sitting back and just watching it produce the results without having any of the work that has to go along with it. Exactly. Letting that lawnmower go to rust. (laughs) (laughs) What a great approach. But now we want to talk a little bit about how we can add some beauty and some interest to our yards, to our bee lawns as well. But we can also do other things like increasing um, our plants for pollinators. So tell us a little bit about what we should do for to create more of a pollinator garden. Yeah, absolutely. Well, pollinator gardens are a wonderful way to bring bees and butterflies around and give them some of the nutrition that they require from native plants. And so native plants are extremely important because they feed the pollinators, the native pollinators at the right time of year, what they're supposed to have. So it's really important that we bring in plants um, that have, you know, we, we might designate an area of the yard that we can have a pollinator patch, a garden where we can invite the birds and butterflies and bees all to come and have a little bit of something to eat. So that could be uh, anything from just a four foot by four foot little garden area with a couple of plants, maybe a bee balm plant mm-hmm. and, uh, and uh, some black eyed Susans or echinacea, or that could be an extensive garden, um, a larger space, a low maintenance, maybe a rain garden or uh, a larger kind of prairie restoration space. Um, in which we incorporate some plants that will spread and that will take over the area that will keep out the weeds for us. So things like uh, little blue stem and uh, Joe pie weed and uh, bee balm spreading throughout the area, lobelia, lots of beautiful plants that we can add in um, 
And there's wonderful resources online for finding native plants. We've got some great resources at minnehahafallslandscape.com for folks to find out, you know, plant lists of what you can plant in the sun or the shade, um, what's going to work in a rain garden. Have we talked about rain gardens, Candy? You, I keep saying rain garden. You know what a rain, you know what a rain garden is, don't you? <laughs> I want to learn more about what a rain garden is. So why don't you explain to us uh, what your approach with a rain garden is? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So a rain garden, it's, I, we do so many rain gardens for folks. They're awesome places. What you do is you find maybe a low spot in the lawn or you make a low spot you know, somewhere off of one of the downspouts that come off the roof, off the gutter system. Mm -hmm. And that way you can direct the water into a garden area, a space that you've excavated a little bit of a divot, a kind of a, a, a space that you dig out. And then we improve the soil down under there. And after that, we install these native plants. The water then, when it rains, flows off the rooftop, down into the garden bed, feeds the native plants, and it comes to life. Many of us already have those nice low areas in our yard that stay kind of wet and muddy and yep. maybe don't like them as much. So what are some of those plants that we can, can actually start to help ourselves? Great question. Okay, what I'm going to say here is that, first of all, in the rain garden, it's a perfect place to bring in the monarch butterflies. Mm -hmm. So some of those plants, what I call the mega monarch magnets, include Joe Pieweed, Meadow Blazing Star, mm. Swamp Milkweed. Three critically important plants for monarch butterflies. Great place to put them in the rain garden. You can they also like the moisture. They like all the water. They love it. They Do they need to have it. a lot of sun? It, those are some um, more sunny plants. The Joe Pie can take a part shade, um, but if you're going to do, and the Milkweed can take a part shade uh, environment, but the, if you're going to do that uh, Meadow Blazing Star, and of all the Blazing Stars, the Meadow is the one to go with because it brings in the Monarchs, uh, but it does, it does um, like a, a full sun environment. So tell us a little bit about these plants. What do they look like if we're not familiar with them? Because now we're on radio, so we have to be very <laughs> We don't have yeah, anything well, to show. <laughs> well, yes, and um, that's, a, that's a great reminder. Thank you. Yes, we're talking purple flowers. We're talking pink flowers. On the Joe Pieweed, we've got a six-foot-tall plant that'll um, – spread out to about three feet wide. So it's kind of a oh, column. I like to put it in the back of the garden and it gets covered with these almost kind of hairy looking, beautiful purple, pink, lavenderish flowers. Wonderful. They bring in hummingbirds. They bring in the butterflies. Um, and then let's see that, that uh, meadow blazing star. That's one of the monarch's absolute favorites. That's kind of like a tall skinny snake of purple flowers and so they're like several uh you put them together and and you might and they come as a bulb and you might plant maybe a dozen of the bulbs together and so you'll have 12 or 13 of these you know snake-like stems coming up covered in purple flowers they're just oh. they're just beautiful to behold um, i love to plant in the garden red lobelia cardinal flower and that's one that feeds hummingbirds. Um, hummingbirds absolutely love it. The butterflies love it. And uh, it's beautiful. It's red. 
it's a deep red flower. I was going to say, it's not a color that you see a ton of in, in like a perennial garden is, is red. Red is a hard one to c- come by. So that is really interesting. Yeah. Red is usually a high maintenance color, but not in this, in these perennial native plants, very low maintenance, very easy to take care of. So the perfect thing for candy, who is not exactly a green thumb, is that what you're saying? <laughs> well, I love plants that thrive on neglect. And <laughs> Me <so> too. <laughs> so that's why I go native plants, and uh, and I and I like the bee lawn also that we talked about earlier because you know mowing is high maintenance. So if we can transition, I always say the best lawn is a garden. If we can transition lawn space into garden or into bee lawn, anything we can transition away from the regular old standard lawn and towards life and abundance and health and blooms and flowers, that's going to help the bees. It's going to help us because we get to step outside and look at all this beauty. Oh, it's just, it just makes me feel so good. It makes me, makes my heart sing to think about having the the birds and the butterflies and the insects around, especially I think now because I have a grandchild and I'm like wanting to bring that back to my yard, wanting to bring that back to our outdoor space because kids love to explore. They love to learn. They love to see all of that. Yeah. And it it's just, you know, we, like I said before, we kind of go from this time of, it almost feels like your yard is dead. Like it's not that interesting. And now we can go into creating life all around us yes. and just having all of this interest for us to take a look at. So tell us a bit more about, you know, is, are there any good pollinator plants for shady areas? Oh, I'm so glad you asked. First of all, you know, everybody has hostas in the yard. Mm-hmm. Bumblebees love hostas. Mm. So, because hey, I love hostas. Hostas love neglect, so they love kids. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. They do well just about anywhere you put them in the shade. Um, there's a wonderful, you know, all the spring ephemerals are, you know, bloodroot and um, all of your blooming, you know, crocus and tulips and um, everything like that is going to help out in the early season for the bees. And they can, a lot of those can go in the shade. Um, I love celandine poppy. That's a native that not a lot of folks get to use that works in the shade. Jacob's ladder. Um, yes. So celandine poppy is a yellow short, kind of a, a foot and a half tall. Jacob's ladder is a nice ground cover spreads out um, in the shade. You might want to shrub something tall blooms in white, like a viburnum. Uh, very fun or several kinds of dogwood. If you want to go a little taller, um, get maybe a midsize, a short tree or a taller shrub, something like a pagoda dogwood. That's a beautiful, um, has a low canopy. It's an understory tree or a tall shrub works just great off the side of a patio or maybe a service berry um, comes in a shrub or tree form. Beautiful places that uh, works great in the shade. The pollinators come by and get a snack. The birds and people can eat the berries off the service berry. Mm, Very cool. That'd be fun to have in the yard. Oh, yeah. And there's so many wonderful, fun options for the shade. What about, you know, what about shrubs that sometimes I've, I've bought a shrub that I love the way it looks and then it ends up getting really out of control and I didn't know that you were supposed to, you know, trim it, <laughs> Sure, yeah. care for it in that way. So what are some like low maintenance shrubs that are great for pollinators? 
Yeah, absolutely. And when you're talking low maintenance shrubs, you're talking about native shrubs. So the viburnums, a whole huge set of viburnums, one, the Mohican viburnum, so beautiful, wonderful to look at, broad leaves on it, big white blooms across the top of it, brings in the birds and the butterflies, has a, has a kind of a um, pyramidal shape to it. You don't have to do any pruning on it if you give it a big enough space to grow. Um, and that's kind of the, the, the key to picking out a shrub is giving the shrub enough space to breed it, reach its full potential. And then always planting under the shrubs with ground covers, something like uh, native perennial ginger mm. or um, uh, Virginia water leaf. Or again, you could use some of that white clover that's in the bee lawn. And we'll often use that bee lawn mixture up underneath shrubs to as a ground cover, um, what I call a, a, uh, a cover crop or a living mulch. Which is great because then, again, you don't have to be weeding it. You don't, it's maintaining the health of the soil underneath it. And it's just, what a great way to to have, again, another low maintenance aspect to your yard. Yeah, exactly. Plants are the way that we can innovate together with the landscape in order to create low maintenance spaces. And those native plants are going to get us those low, low maintenance spaces that'll bring in the butterflies and, and bees but will also be just beautiful for us to walk outside and see. And if you love to plant tomatoes, wait until you see what your tomatoes do when you're bringing back those pollinators. Oh, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> oh, tomatoes. Absolutely. Everybody's got to have a big, red, juicy tomato. <laughs> we the have to have our tomato plants. Well, for people who want to learn more about what Rest does and to schedule an appointment with him, go to MinnehahaFallsLandscape.com. You're listening to Green Tea Conversations on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota, and we will be right back. Welcome back to Green Tea Conversations, where we delve into the pages of Natural Awakenings magazine and talk to the professionals who share their expertise on natural health with you. I'm your host, Candy Brothel, and today we're visiting with Russ Henry of Minnehaha Falls Landscaping. So just before the break, we have been talking about so many things, so many things we can do to be the hero in our own backyards, as you say, which I love. Um, but one of the things that you is really important, something we talked about last fall when we visited was preparing our soil for winter, but now it's springtime. Yeah. So what can we do to create good soil health? Oh, thanks for that question. It's basically my favorite question in the whole world. <laughs> you know, it's no coincidence that we live on a planet called earth and we can reach down and scoop up a, a handful of that earth and hold it in our hands. And Here's the problem. We've been treating soil like dirt. <laughs> and we got we to gotta remember that soil is supposed to be a sponge filled with living organisms. And when the rainwater runs through that sponge, those organisms filter and clean it. And they, they slow and cool the water before it enters local waterways. And they then provide nutrition and protection from disease and pests for plants. 
So the soil is the starting place for all ecosystems on earth. And we can see that right in our own yards and we can stop treating our soil like dirt and we can start really regrowing the soil sponge right outside our back doors. And, and so there's a few things that I want to say that folks should really think about as they're trying to think about soil health. First and foremost, absolutely most important, we've got to stop putting the pesticides and fertilizers onto the soil. And when I say fertilizers, I mean the synthetic fertilizers, because pesticides and fertilizers change the dynamic underground and they kill many of the soil microbiome creatures. All of those little tiny organisms that are doing this huge job on a planetary scale to clean the water and feed the plants. So we've got to do our part to protect those tiny organisms. We don't put any pesticides and fertilizers down. That's the first step. Well, then the next step is making sure that the ground is always covered in something. And so think of that as like wearing clothes. We wouldn't want to go outside in the middle of winter without our winter gear on. And we certainly wouldn't want to leave our soil naked. So what we've got to do is make sure that we've got some kind of wood mulch or I prefer a living ground cover, Mm -hmm. Uh, some kind of a um, ground cover plants, native plants or or, uh, bee lawn plants, these type of things that will spread out, cover the ground. You know, um, some of our favorite herbs like mint and oregano are wonderful uh, for spreading and covering the ground. Um, keeping it covered, and also feeding the bees and and, uh, butterflies. So what we've got to do is keep that ground covered so when the rain lands on it, it's not, the the soil is not disturbed by the rainfall, but instead is protected by the plants, and then the rain slowly hits the soil, and it absorbs in nice and slow, and then it can filter through and do all the stuff that the soil is supposed to do. I bought a, a purchased a home from someone who is like a, a master gardener. And uh, the last home we lived in, we had like 32 gardens, 32 oh, wow. flower gardens, uh, which is a lot. Uh, but the soil in those gardens was so fertile. You oh, could yeah. just see it. And, and when you would dig up plants, when I, when I was weeding or trying to maintain the gardens at all, and you're starting to kind of dig into the soil, there's all these insects and different things that are moving around in there, insects and worms and all of that. And then you come, you know, then we purchase this home and it's a beautiful home, but the soil you can tell is it doesn't have that same organisms in yeah. it. And so that's a really good indicator, I would imagine. If you're digging down into your ground and your soil is not a deep, rich, earthy uh, color, it doesn't smell. You can tell by the smell of your soil and looking at all the different insects and things that are in there as well. Yeah, if your soil is filled with life, then it's going to be protecting the plants that you grow and it's going to help them grow fast. If the soil is, if you don't see the worms, you know, because worms are a big indicator species of soil health, especially our earthworms, you know, here in the city. Very important that we see in the urban and suburban environments, if if we're going to have healthy soil, it's going to have earthworms in it. And um, that, you know, they can be a great indicator. Um, And if they're not there, then what we got to do is start aiming towards soil health. So we can compost. 
That's one of the main ways to regrow soil health. I think about compost and healthy soil as being basically one and the same. Once we get the organic matter back into our soil and we start recycling the leaves and the kitchen waste and all of that back into the soil, then the insects and the worms can eat that and transform it into healthy soil, into the soil food web, as my mentors call it, which is the web of life that is underground that includes fungi and bacteria, little creatures like nematodes and microarthropods, all down there working together to protect and feed plants, to filter the water. And they, they really keep all life on earth going. Mm-hmm. So what are some things that we might be able to do? So soil health is really important, but what about for people who live in condos or apartments or maybe just don't have big yards, uh, but they still want to do their part in being a hero in their own backyard oh, or a yeah. hero on their own patio? What can they do? Absolutely. And everybody gets to be a hero. And I tell you what, you get yourself a container and some, so- some potting soil. Maybe find a, uh, a native plant nursery or an organic nursery around town and, um, uh, or, or in your neighborhood. And, and look, look out, especially when you're going to nurseries, ask them, make sure that they're not using any herbicides or any pesticides on the plants, uh, not using any fungicides or anything like that. No isides, none of those <laughs> icky isides. And um, ask your retailer. Now, then while you're there, after you've found out that you're at a good place that's going to have organic plants and they're going to have some native selection, go through. Do you want to put a perennial plant that's going to come back year to year in your pot? Do you want to put an annual plant in your pot? Find something that's going to bloom. Uh, find something, maybe an herb, maybe something, a, t- a small tomato, what they call a determinant tomato, something that's only going to grow to a predetermined size um, so that you could have something bloom and something fun something smelling wonderful right outside your door, what, maybe on the patio or the porch if you've, got, if you've got a little access or on the rooftop, wherever you've got some access to put a pot. And so any of those kind of blooming herbs, anything like that also will draw in the, the bees and the other pollinators to, to your yard and you'll be helping them by helping to feed them. That's right. Everybody can be a hero, no matter how much tiny little bit of space or great big space you have. It's time for folks to start thinking about what can we do as individuals to get out there, protect pollinators and make the world a healthier place. Well, Russ, thank you so much for being with us again today. Thank you for sharing all this information. I'm excited for our spring gardens and excited for all of our listeners to be able to be the hero in their own backyard. So for people who want to learn more about what Russ does or to schedule an appointment with him, visit MinnehahaFallsLandscape.com and or call 612-724-5454 to get started. You've been listening to Green Tea Conversations on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota, and I am wishing for you a lovely day. Lovely day, lovely day, lovely day, lovely day, lovely day.